Gaywire on CJSR, your homegrown source for lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, and queer news, culture, stories, and events from Edmonton and beyond. Hey there, we're Gaywire. I'm Alexa. I'm JD. And we have two guests with joining us. We have guests. Yes. <laughs> Do you folks want to say your names or? Sure. I'm Shay. And I'm Sarah. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. So you are part of uh, this coalition uh, that interrupted the Pride Parade this weekend. What it sort of? How does the group refer to itself? Um, we don't. We're not like officially a group insofar mm. as there's a bunch of individuals that kind of came together within a week before the protest and was like, we need to do something about this. Because mm-hmm. um, a few of us had been involved in the long term trying to do some communications. And so we kind of last minute organized a thing and then just brought a lot of people in and be like, we should go protest. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So do you want to describe the events on Saturday and how it all unfolded? And then we'll get into some other uh, yeah, questions. Yeah, people who missed the whole thing. Like, yeah. If you've been living in a cave, <laughs> yeah. you, maybe, you maybe don't, hey, didn't a parade just happen on Saturday? Yeah. Yeah, what happened at the Pride Parade? Yeah, Yeah. so a number of queer and trans people of color and their allies, myself included, uh, briefly halted Edmonton's Pride Parade on White Avenue at 104th Street to bring attention to several issues that have not been addressed by the Pride Society after repeated attempts by community members. So what were those attempts by, like, what led up to it? Yeah. You, yeah. So I think a majority of the awareness around this started way back when BLMTO first stopped their Pride Parade. And then in response to that, a lot of different groups around Canada went to their Pride committees like, can we also do similar things? Can we remove cops from our Pride? Um, and initially the response we got from the Pride committee back then was no. Um, Later this year, they had invited some individuals to come be marshals at their pride, who then responded with, okay, well, we'd love to be marshals, but if we're going to do that, we need to feel safe. Part of feeling safe is not having these police officers, not having the military there, um, because their symbolism just brings out trauma for these individuals. Um, So they sent a formal letter requesting that. Pride committee officially first responded negatively, then they offered to organize a meeting. At the meeting, they agreed with us and said they wanted to move forward with disinviting the police officers. Roughly three days later, we got a letter telling us that actually they had changed their mind, um, that the rest of the committee had voted against that motion, so it failed, um, leaving us kind of with like five, six days to figure out what we were going to do. Our response was to organize a protest. So then on the actual uh, day, how did how did that all go down? Like, how did you, if you can sort of describe, like, the moments that you were uh, protesting and what happened? Um, well, myself, I was um, the designated police liaison. And um, after that, I was um, the liaison between the uh, protesters and the Pride Society. And um, it was my job to... Uh, see to it that the negotiations um, happened and that it wasn't just um, the Pride Society agreeing to having a continued conversation, but rather agreeing to um, our demands and um, 
actually hearing what we had to say and um, recognizing um, that uh, queer and trans people of color um, are oppressed by uh, law enforcement and military. So then what were the, like, you have the four demands there? Would you like to? Yeah, yeah. for sure. Sure. Um, so they come out to this. So firstly, that we the society uninvite EPS, RCMP, and military from marching in future parades. Secondly, the society restructure its board and staff hiring practices to have more representation from people of color and trans folks. Thirdly, that more well-funded spaces specifically designed for people of color and trans folks be included in the festival. And finally, that all mainstream pride spaces clearly acknowledge and honor pride's history as a demonstration against police oppression. So, like, when you had the conversation, then did you feel like they, like, the conversation was productive and they acknowledged all four of those demands? Um, well, it it honestly took a while. I think at first because it was just very unexpected that we were that this protest was happening at all. But um, um, I think the Pride Society was initially hesitant. Um, uh, just because they already had the stance that this would be an ongoing conversation and they had they had promised um, that they would um, discuss this in the future but it wasn't really a given what that meant it was very vague I guess um, so we made it clear that we want some guarantees um, and we want them now rather um, than later I'm personally fairly hopeful. Um, initially, in the last conversation we had the Pride Committee, one of their few reasons for not following forward with our recommendation was they didn't think there was enough people in the community who had similar background, similar issues. I think <laughs> what this protest has done, not just with the people who are directly protesting, but a lot of the yeah. follow-up conversations, both online and around on news, has shown that even though it's divisive, there's a good number of individuals who agree who fall into a similar background of experience with not enjoying police presence and feeling alienated because of that police presence. Mm -hmm. So I think the response is they'll follow through with it, seeing that it's become a fairly big issue at this point. Yeah, yeah. So were they surprised when this happened? Like you were saying that there was a surprise. Yes, we did not <laughs> tell them that this was going to happen. But I mean, this kind of thing happened in Toronto, and there's been uh, pushback in other communities against having uh, uh, police and pride parades too. Why? Why do you think there was a surprise? Um, I honestly, I don't know. I, I myself, as an ally to the QT BIPOC community, it's very. Um, obvious to me that these are um, issues that need to be addressed. So yeah, I can't. I can't really. Um, I have a theory. My my theory is that they didn't think the community was big enough in the first place. Mm -hmm. So when we initially came out and they shut us down, they probably thought, okay, that was eight people. What are eight people going to do? Mm -hmm. um, the fact that the community exists and is fairly large, I think, shows them it is an issue. Um, and I think if they knew there was a larger community, they might have reacted differently to us in mm -hmm. the first place. Interesting. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, too, because, I mean, like, as you said, this conversation's been happening for, like, two years in this specific way since Black Lives Matter Toronto. But for decades, we've been having conversations with police and queer communities yeah. and spaces. Um, so why then did you sort of, as a group, how did you come to the decision that, that interrupting and stopping the Pride Parade was the way you were going to go? It was almost a response of 
having run out of options because we really, really wanted to reach this through the discussion. We didn't want to need to stop Pride just because of all the fallout that we knew would inevitably come. We, we knew that would lead to a divisive conversation, that it would lead to a lot of people being very angry with us um, and possibly being hurtful and harmful for a lot of our community. So we were actually fairly hopeful that a meeting would end positively. Um, but we were also planning the protests because we've seen that historically protests, they work. They're, they point out that there's an issue, they cause people discomfort enough that they'll actually listen to you and they can't just pass you over and move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think also um, because uh, Pride is political and Pride originated as a protest and was started by a black trans woman, I think that's largely um, the viewpoint we are coming from as well. Like. Um, Uh, Pride always has been and always will be an opportunity for marginalized peoples to be welcomed and have their voices heard. So it seemed like the space where it should happen. So then when you did um, stop, what was the sort of, like we've talked about the reaction from the Pride uh, Festival Society board members, but what was the sort of reaction from the crowd uh, that you encountered? And also, and then a sub-question is, um, was there any interaction with the police at that moment when you stopped the parade? Um, I didn't end up interacting with the police, so I won't touch that. But um, I would say there's about three or four different types of responses that we got. Um, One was a community effectively trying to literally push us out of the street, um, Mm -hmm. which was fairly terrifying, um, but then they stopped, thankfully. Uh, Two was a lot of people just coming and yelling at me and other individuals in the first place. And, sorry, Um, were these people from, like, the audience, from the crowd? Or was it the um, other parade entries? It, it initially was other parade entries and then came like the crowd kind of bled into it. But like, it was also kind of hopeful at the same time because you could see people were joining us in our chant and they're kind of joining the line at the same time. Yeah. So it actually like worked out both ways that way. So sorry, then the two other reactions. So there was... There was right. a group of individuals that tried to push us out of the street. Um, there was a group of individuals that took it upon themselves to come and yell at people's faces. There was individuals who stayed on the side and either ended up chanting our chant or ended up chanting um, that they wanted us gone. Um, and then there was a lot of folks that actually just joined our line um, once it yeah. seemed like they could just... Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. So what was your chant that you were that they joined in on? Uh, there was a variety of chants that we had. I, um, I think the last one that we ended on was like, no police at Pride. Um, very straightforward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's to the point. So then, like, when you're in... Sorry, did you have a... No, a big, it's a bit of a follow-up. So the, the, the uh, what do you want to call them, counter-protesters, the people who wanted the parade to keep going. Uh, I mean, I wasn't there, so, but did you find, were the people from the uh, LGBTQ community who uh, wanted the parade to go, or were they kind of the, I don't know, what do you want to call them, heterosexual cisgender tourists uh, who just wanted to see a parade? So, it's hard to answer that, because I can't mm-hmm. tell, right? Like, there's no way for me to step out and be like, yeah. you're an ally, and you're actually queer. Um, <laughs> yeah. But were they speaking on behalf of any uh, community? Like, were they s- I feel like there was a lot of people from both camps of that, um, yeah. where those individuals were like, I'm an ally and I want you gone, and those individuals said, I'm part of this parade and I want you gone. Okay. Um, <laughs> and, and really, we could understand this, like we didn't, no one wanted to protest the parade, no one wanted to disrupt it, because letting people have positive symbols is always a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's kind of disheartening that we had to, however, like we think ultimately it's moving forward fairly well. No, and then was there was there police interaction at all, or? Uh, no, um, actually, the police responded. Um, like the the police that were um, 
managing the crowds said exactly that, that they were there to manage the crowds. We did later on, police showed up um, and they were kind of just around, I guess, watching to see how heated things would get. Mm. But aside from that, the main interactions were between the protesters, the parade and the Pride Society. Okay. Um, so then in the sort of, if that's the immediate reaction, then in the, I guess, the, like, because of social media and everything, uh, this was obviously, like, happening so quickly. So what has the reaction been, like, online, within the community, feedback that you've been getting? How's that been going? Um, the reaction online has been fairly expected. Um, mixed. Um, we have individuals who come from backgrounds where they just don't quite understand why we're protesting police in the first place. I've seen many comments where people are saying, why aren't you comfortable with cops? <laughs> and then are very confused when I explain that there's things like racism. <laughs> um, there's also been individuals who are fairly understanding of like the context and contemporary politics um, and actually come out in support. And it's been very heartening to see a lot of people just pop up and be like, hey, no, this is a good idea. Or, hey, I'm in support of this. Mm -hmm. yeah. So then, um, uh, obviously, like the police... Um, being in Pride and the RCMP and the military gets a gets a huge reaction. But with your three other points, do you want to talk a little bit about those? Because those are equally important, obviously. Yeah, um, they're yeah. equally important, and I feel like no one's talked about them because they're fairly straightforward and kind of hard to disagree with. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, when it comes to restructuring the board, it's not as if we're saying restructure the board and then give us vast majority of power. What we're saying is having a more diverse board leads to a more diverse pride, which is what everyone wants in the first place. And it's not really something you can say, oh, we don't want trans people on the board because yeah. some magic reason they're ultimately going to say, yeah, well, we should probably have POC on the board. We should probably have trans people on the board. Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to three, when it comes to creating well-funded spaces for trans and people of color, those spaces currently don't exist. So when we talk about them, there's not much response to say like, oh, you have these spaces. The response is, oh, well, I guess that would be a good idea to have spaces for these groups. And do you mean um, sort of just in Pride events or in the community, like year-round as a whole? I um, imagine both would be good, but yeah. So the one particularly mentioned is the one at, in the festival. Um, yeah. Year-round would be ideal. I would love to have year-round spaces that people could feel comfortable in. But when it comes to like responsibilities of the Pride Board, it's obviously quite directly just the Pride Festival um, with the committee that we were talking to. Mm -hmm. um, and then finally, when it comes to like all mainstream Pride spaces, should clearly acknowledge the Pride's history. It, again, fairly hard to disagree with. Like we should recognize and acknowledge the types of traumas individuals have gone through so that we can know why we're here, why is Pride happening. And even if it comes to a point where everyone can be celebrating, we should constantly be talking about and learning from the fact that it was a protest. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So then, I mean, I guess that's sort of like what you've seen with activists like across, you know, Canada, the United States, is that some people say like, you know, pride has been so taken over and so commercialized and made family friendly and whitewashed and all these sorts of things like that people just disengage from pride, right? So they decide not to go. They have dyke marches, trans marches and those sorts of things. So like, why was it important for your group to continue to engage with pride and like reclaim this sort of space and, and event? So while it's entirely possible for us to create our own marches, I think the ideal is that pride can still be unified. I think everyone wants to prevent the worlds where we need to create separate spaces where we do have to do that self-segregation just to feel safe. I think everyone wants to have a pride that reflects the diversity, that reflects the community as it actually is. So then that leads us to wanting to ask for change. Obviously, if that change never came, that the different conversation would happen where people are like, maybe we should create different spaces. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. Mm -hmm. Did you? Yeah, yeah. totally agreed. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. 
Um, so going forward then, I mean, this, this sort of just happened and I imagine you folks are like dealing with sort of the media and all the conversation afterwards. Do you have plans moving forward or things that you want to see sort of like in the next couple weeks or months even? Um, when it comes to like nuanced outcomes, there's a lot of different ones when it comes to particularly EPS. For example, having an official stance on carding that isn't, it doesn't exist would be nice. Mm -hmm. um, having them understand that the negative impacts that exist for people of color communities exist without having to have the, I think it was provincial government mandated that they had to do a review yeah. and that's still happening because it's taking its time um, despite the fact that there's been two or three different groups that put out reports saying carding's pretty bad and here's all the stats that you've given us that we've then had a bunch of objective people already evaluate. Mm -hmm. um, it's just one example of places where we can move forward in recreating and improving the relationships between groups like EPS and like people of color and queer people of color. Um, yeah, and I think myself as an ally of the QT BIPOC community, I think um, uh, we need to um, move our allyship from allyship to accompliceship. And by that, I mean not just standing next to QT BIPOCs, but um, actively engaging in direct action to um, ensure that demands like these are met. Is there like anything else that you that you wanted to get out there or misconceptions that you think have been floating around that you've but you've had to talk about? There's one that I've said roughly like 50, 60 times at this point, <laughs> which is this protest is very much about the organization of the police, the organization of the military, mm -hmm. um, the organization of the RCMP, not the particular officers. We're not saying that every EP op EPS officer needs to stay home next Pride. What we're saying is they can come in civilian clothes, they can be a regular person like the rest of us, they can march in Pride like a regular person. They just need to recognize that the symbolism of their occupation leads to a lot of people feeling trauma and leads to a lot of people just not showing up. Yeah, thanks. And that gets into that conversation that seems to be coming out about like, this is about exclusion and sort of like, I know, and that's shaky, but, right. but that has been, right? That it's like, like, how can you possibly create an inclusive pride if you're excluding people? But in that situation, they're talking about excluding police officers, not people it's of color who not, have been excluded. Well, not even excluding police officers, excluding police officers as police officers. Mm -hmm. You can still be a police officer and still come to pride. Yeah. yeah, but people don't seem to get that. It's been so fascinating how many people have cried segregation just like from the rooftops. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. When the only thing that's happening is we're asking people for to leave their jackets and coats at home and just come show up like I don't know like green t-shirt and sweats or something. Mm -hmm. um, like that's what I well that's not what I was wearing. Um, but anyways, um, <laughs> yeah, or as amazing as you want to dress, but just yeah. not in a uniform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and not obviously also sort of like holding any banners or coming as part of the yeah. police, right? Yeah. The question very much is like, why do we privilege police at a protest that originated in rejecting the police and rejecting policies that they supported? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think too, to think, I mean, and I, I think I've heard this sort of through um, the different communities, is this, this like odd insistence from the police that they be in the parade and how like how odd that feels that they're insisting on being in that space and saying things like they're disappointed if they don't get to be in the gay parade or you know whatever so do you have any thoughts on that? Like, where does that sort of insistence come from? In, in a way, it's them leveraging power and authority that the police force has. Because a lot of people are very afraid that not involving EPS in the parade will lead to EPS almost sliding backwards in the policies and improvement that they've had. Which I find fascinatingly and just... 
Something that I find strange to think about is that someone actually thinks the EPS can just become more homophobic and would get away with that um, <laughs> when yeah. all that happened is that we're not bringing them to Pride Parade. It's not as if suddenly we're asking every queer officer to quit the force. When It's not as if we're asking for the police system to change all of these policies and go back 50 years. Mm -hmm. What's happening here is we're asking them to respect the fact that they haven't improved as much as they think they have. Um, so yeah, their response is trying to leverage that authority and leverage the fear people have them changing mm -hmm. to stay there. Yeah, yeah, but, and I was just going to say, I also think um, their, their mantra, I guess, of saying that um, they're just they're just doing this to try to engage with the community and um, you know trying to be allies. Well, myself as an ally, I think the most important thing that we can do is to listen. Just be quiet and listen, and um, to follow up with that, to act on what we've heard, and if that means being quote-unquote excluded, that's what it means. And that, that to me, is a ship. Yeah, it's also fascinating because this language of engagement tends to historically have been used by systems of power to continually push back the envelope saying, well, we just need more engagement. Well, we just need more outreach. Well, we'll change this once we talk to like X number more people. And that number always changes and those goalposts always move because that's the choice that they're able to set. Mm -hmm. And when we can finally do things such as saying, well, this is our pride and we choose whether or not you participate. So you're going to change if you want to participate. It takes that power away from them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and I think too what you what you said before, just to go back to it, that when you're sort of saying like the like that, there's this fear that if the if the police are not allowed in the pride parade, that they're going to become more homophobic, um, and that they're that 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 completely separates like sexuality and gender identity from race, right? So you're saying like, well, it's pretty horrible for people of color and indigenous people right now, so it's already bad. So the idea that you know, absent like it would be white queer people who would be like, but it could be bad for sexuality reasons if we don't if we kick the police out completely not acknowledging like mm -hmm. that yeah. it's currently bad right so it's sort of that like splintering of identities that you're trying to like yeah, yeah. there's yeah. been yeah. a large number of people who are very insistent this is not a race issue despite the fact that the protest is very focused on the fact that because of the way that the community has not responded to a racial minority that this needs to change so who's insisting that it's not a race issue oh a lot of just commenters online tend to okay. be individuals who are like, this has nothing to do with race. Why are we talking about race? Why are we talking about like yeah. police racism when yes. this is pride? Yes. And the response is, well, because there's lots of people of color who are also queer and they're yeah. affected by that racism. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. That there's, yeah, a complete sort of uh, disconnect and, and inability. And, and I think too what ends up happening with you saw with Black Lives Matter Toronto um, is that there was an instant sort of like they, quote unquote, don't belong in the community. They are not part of our community. Like this sort of invading the community when it's queer and trans people of color who are initiating all of these, um, initi well, initiating these these demands and so on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we're back with uh, Gaywire, and we thought the conversation we were happen happening during the song was just too good that we should just keep talking. They're still here. Why wouldn't yeah. we? <laughs> so thank you, Shay and Sarah, uh, from the group that did the protest uh, this Saturday during the Pride Parade in Edmonton uh, with a list of um, demands that were accepted on the spot by, uh, by the Edmonton Pride Festival Society. So one of the things we were talking about that I wanted to get back to is um, that, that you sort of said you had this, I, you, you were 
told by the Pride Festival Society that they hadn't really moved on this because they felt it was like a really small minority of people. But you were saying since then, you've you've sort of been encouraged by the fact that that's not true. Yeah. Um, the conversation we had, I do believe the exact number they used was eight people agree with you. So I was like, oh. Well, I feel very small. Yeah. Um, so seeing a lot of people either being supportive or just coming outright and saying, no, I agree and I feel this, has been really powerful to be like, okay, so it has just been gaslighting. It has just been people trying to like ignore the problem. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, at one point, um, just at one point before uh, the protest really started, I had um, one um, LGBT senior address me and... Um, it was it was so beautiful to just see this moment of she was confused but um then she she addressed me and she said oh are you a part of this protest and i said yes and i gave her the list of demands and she took the time to just peacefully read them and um and she said wow this is wonderful what you're doing and can i take some of these this list of demands and hand them out and um, then, um, during some more chaotic parts of the protest, she peacefully just waltzed right up to me and said, oh, can I get some more of those demands oh, wow. to hand out? Yes. And I was just like, wow, this is so powerful. And this, and this person was a white ally as well. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is great. And what we're doing is not, like you said, like, um, the, the backlash is gaslighting in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing, too, right? I mean, I think um, from what I've seen that the pushback, and not all of it, but a lot of it does seem also um, sort of intergenerational. Like, did you did you find that? Is there, like, a feeling that there's, like, maybe, like, older gays who are sort of, you know... Being, this was our parade. Yeah. We don't know. Uh, it's... Yeah. yeah. It's hard because the more we want to talk about who responded to us, like the more we have to use these broad strokes to say, yeah, yeah. well, all of these people said this and all of these yeah. people feel this way. Um, I, most of the people who were shouting at me, like personally, day of the protest, were older individuals who, from what they said, I would assume would be queer. Um, mm-hmm. For example, this one woman at one point came up to me and said, what you've done if you've pissed off the entire community, there's 40,000 of us here who will hate you now. Oh um, which God. I found quite yeah. terrifying in the moment because... Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm standing in the middle of a street and she's just gestured at this horde of humans and said, they're all going to push you out of the street. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it very much was a lot of older folks initially mm-hmm. that I feel were, were coming up to us and saying, well, you can't do this. And in a way, I can understand their perspective. Their perspective is we've done a lot of fighting. For them, they've achieved a lot of the goals that they wanted to achieve. Mm-hmm. Why can't we let them have this pride? Um, to which I, I, our response is, I think, fairly similar to what our response has been in general, which is... I'm very happy that they're comfortable and safe, but I want it to be that our whole community is comfortable and safe and we can't rest until then. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And also the, the pride did continue after the protest. Yeah. So they didn't, <laughs> honestly, they still had their parade and they still had pride and there's an entire pride week and pride month. Yeah, there was 20 or 30 minute delay. If anything, that meant a lot of people who were late got to enjoy the whole pride parade. So Yeah, yeah. no, it gave me the chance to bike to where you folks were and oh, then see it. So I was like on Twitter and I was like, oh my yeah. goodness, I have to get there. So I tr- yeah, no. So thank you for delaying it. That was good. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> How long was the delay? I have heard from various people who were in the parade, 20 minutes, 40 minutes, and according to the mainstream media, I sound like a Trump supporter, mainstream media, Mm -hmm. (laughs) more than an hour. 
You were there. Most media tends to be saying 20 to 30 minutes. It felt like 20 to 30 minutes. There was one person who said an hour and a half, and I was like, no way. I would have noticed an hour and a half. I I would have been much more tired. Well, that also, like, just to be funny about it, that might have been the people at the end of the parade who would have been waiting that amount of time anyway Ah, for it to get going. Anyway, that's just how physics works, that you're like, you're at the end of the parade just waiting. So, I mean, you you were at the front. You experienced 20 to 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We, we were there for so 20 good. to 30 minutes. Yeah. But even, even like, parsing this down, right, that, like, people are arguing about this just shows that, like, are you not willing to, like, be inconvenienced or discomforted, as you said before, for this kind of, like, mm-hmm. change, yeah. you know? That, that's been a, a lot of the conversation is people saying, why Pride? Why didn't you protest somewhere else? Why didn't you have your own protest on some other day? <laughs> um, which, which the response is, this needs to be a public conversation that not only people notice and are involved in, but they feel is important. And, and that importance has to be derived from an immediate interaction because it's very hard for us to have a protest at the legislature and get people involved as they're Mm. probably not there in the first place. Um. And I think that's partly why Pride is a protest. Um, And I think, yeah, it it originated in that. And I think, honestly, if a lot of these folks who are against the protest um, looked into the history of Pride, they they would realize that we're actually honoring what Pride is about by doing this protest. Mm-hmm. And it is so powerful. I mean, uh, after the Black Lives Matter Toronto protest, um, and I, I wish I could remember this person's name who wrote this article, but they effectively said, like, when you think about it, what they did was they, like, stopped the prime minister, the premier, like, this mm-hmm. giant police force, the military, and all these people. And you folks, you know, you stopped the premier, you stopped police officers, you stopped big corporations. And for a group of, like, people that started out as, I don't know how many you started out as, that you were the ones that were going to do it that day, like, that's incredibly powerful to be able to do that. Yeah, for sure. I had not actually thought of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you stopped the premier. There you go. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I guess. And the leader it, of the Liberal Party. And the leader of the Liberal Party. In retrospect, it, it, it is fascinating to see how much impact people can have because we're always told we're so small. We're always told that no, no one person can really do so much. So to think that like 20, 40, 50 people were able to hold up the whole parade, I think reminds people that, yeah, your, your concerns are valid and you can't just hide because it's just one person. And mm-hmm. if you feel that you want to make that step, you can make that step. Mm-hmm. So then thinking about like future parades, um, what, and I mean, whether like even should it be called a march, like next year is the 50th anniversary of Stonewall, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. 50? Yeah. Yeah. 50. Uh, which is incredible. And like, so should like, you know, what would that, what would that look like, event look like for you folks? Oh, that is a good question. <laughs> On the anniversary of Stonewall, I, I would hope that the Pride Committee would be open to being a little bit more interactive with the history of Pride. Um, This isn't to say that they need to radically change their parade, um, but I think it's worth noting, but what are we celebrating? What are we remembering? Particularly since it it is the 50th anniversary of what was literally a riot. Um, Hopefully we can see some changes. I, I can't envision right now what they'll be because it's going to be a conversation within their board. It'll be a conversation with whoever they want to include. Um, they have that meeting on the 25th of June. Oh, yeah. Is that um, an open public meeting? I think, we should say, I I think, think their it, letter it said is, it was right? open. Yeah. Yeah. There's some other private ones, but I know there's a 25th of June yeah. is when they said they're having a public consultation. Yeah. Yeah. So for I assume because you're, as you said, it was in their letter, so that it's open so that if you're interested, definitely get down there and join the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. 
Um, no, because, yeah, in other, like, I don't know what it ended up looking like, but I know L.A. Pride last year after the Orlando uh, uh, shootings changed it into a protest and it was no longer a, a parade. So, I mean, that's, that's even that, changing that language. It was actually interesting. Someone wrote an article, um, and I think it was, like, Edmonton, Seattle, and L.A. Yes. All had notable things happen at their prides. Um, we had our protest. Uh, Seattle arrested a trans woman for burning a Blue Lives Matter flag, mm-hmm. which, ironically, in the States is thoroughly legal mm-hmm. um, and has been proven many times, mm-hmm. um, but she was arrested for for going against status quo. Um, and then I cannot remember quite what happened in L.A., but I think they oversold their pride and then a bunch of like actual riot cops showed up to disperse everyone because the festival wow. had oversold and then was telling people to leave, people who had already paid money. Right. Um, so they had riot cops, they had a helicopter. Yeah. Oh. There was a lot of crazy stuff happened there. Yeah, yeah. No, that is. I didn't know that. Do you even even just the like that gave me goosebumps for the like <laughs> ugh, the tension and like the, if you were in that sort of space and that was what you were encountering. Yeah, mm-hmm. especially with like all police forces are yeah. hugely problematic, but the LAPD police force is like had a such a long history of being horrible. Mm-hmm. I feel like I can say that. That's a fact, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. <laughs> That's like an unquestionable fact that LAPD has been, <laughs> yeah. been pretty horrible. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I mean, in terms of the group and and the people you've assembled, are you sort of hoping to like build on this and like continue actions and build community or? I think for many reasons I want to build community. I think building community in the first place is just important. Um, it gives people a place to reach out to, feel supported by, to go to when they have problems. Um, and then it gives us a platform to talk about community issues going forward if we ever have problems again. But moreover, it gives us a platform to engage with large organizations who struggle with one-on-one interactions. Because mm-hmm. um, you tend to have organizations say, well, we need representatives for the whole community, or we need the whole community to turn out. And that, that second one just doesn't happen because right. people have lives and they have trauma. Um, so they can't always be there. So it's better to have community representatives who can actually speak for the community and aren't just trying to guess at what the community feels. And for that, you need to build that community in the first place. Well, no, and that brings up a, a point, too, that I've seen in these conversations that people are saying, like, um, you know, why didn't you go into these consultations with the police? But I think a lot of people have been saying, like, to be in a room with a police officer can be so, like... So difficult for people that you're asking like people to go then and have this conversation in a maybe a strange building, maybe like wherever it is yeah. with police officers in order for the police officers to change their mind. There's that. There's the fact that I'm pretty sure the committees that people have been talking about are actually invite only. Um, so it's kind of hard to get into those. Mm-hmm. Um, additionally, to the fact it's not as if this is a brand new thing, right? Like as you mentioned earlier, we've been talking about this for a while. Uh, BLM Yeg had put out their carding report a year ago. Um, yeah. And the fact that action's taken so long from that, with, with very official data, with very official claims that can be backed up by a lot of proof, mm-hmm. I think is, is a bit disincentivizing to people to go and speak to the police force that they're already scared of, as you already mentioned, um, when, when they don't feel like they have much power. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't know, maybe having like different ways of building this like allyship and um, uh, sort of having different people take on those roles and being able to go into those meetings yeah Yeah, that'd be hugely uh, powerful to come from all of this yeah Yeah, for sure and um, yeah I think I think building communities of allyship and accompliceship is really important especially in um, taking on the labor of POCs Um, I think that's really important and ultimately a lot of 
these um, oppressive structures are white systems and they are they contribute to systemic racism mm-hmm. um, so I think that's why allies and accomplices are the ones who ultimately need to address these issues and on that note do you want to talk about your Facebook group yes I have a, <laughs> yes I would love to um, I just started a Facebook group um, called Accomplices of QT BIPOC Community. And I'm just gonna read the description here briefly. Um, So basically, after the protest at Pride, um, this group has been created to bring allies and accomplices of QT BIPOCs who are on the same page together so that we can work together to address those who are against the protest and our causes in general, and also to address our own allyship and how we can turn that into accompliship. So yeah, um, feel free to uh, join this group on Facebook. Um, You can also find me on Facebook, Sarah Willey, S-A-R-A-H-W-I-L-L-E-Y. I'm currently the administrator for this group, so yeah. Yeah, thank you. I think the most important thoughts people should be having isn't why this happened, but like where we should go next, and that's been the focus Mm -hmm. of this conversation. Um, But yeah, people should think about what, what should happen next and what do they feel like would represent a better way to reach out? So when people want to criticize the protest, rather than criticizing the protest, which they should, what they should be thinking about is how can we make this better? How can we make people feel more included? How can we fight this type of um, atmosphere that's developed that's led to people not coming to the parade? Mm-hmm thinking too why why there's like if you're somebody that reacted to it in a way that was aggressive or now defensive or whatever you might be like where those feelings are coming from and why you think that you feel Mm. fear or maybe hesitation or whatever it is because people in your community are speaking up for what they need Mm -hmm. yeah that's a good note to end on (laughs) yeah well thank you uh sarah and and shay for coming in and sharing that with us Tune in to a Chimowin. That's Cree for Let's Talk, Let's Share, Let's Tell Stories on CJSR 88.5 FM in the city of champions. Friday radio show. Said JoJo's Friday radio show. 9 to 11 a.m. sharp. Girl, it's your time. Don't ever ever change your mind Cause you're mine This is Vivek Shreya, author of Even This Page Is White and She of the Mountains and one half of the music duo Too Attached. You're listening to Gay Wire on CJSR. I'm never gonna hide you Never gonna fight you again Not for any We're back with Gaywire. Hi, we're back. Uh, thank you to our guests, yeah, uh, Sarah and Shay. Yeah, that was gave us amazing insights into the uh, actions on Saturday at the Edmonton Pride Parade. But it, it would have been scary, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, those people. I mean, it started off as a small group of people were incredibly brave to be stopping forty thousand people mm-hmm. uh, uh, to to get heard. Um, that uh, took an incredible amount of bravery and uh, yeah I would have 
supported them had I been there. But uh, just, yeah, we talked earlier about the comments online. I need to stop reading online comments on uh, news stories. Yeah. Well, I think it's, like, interesting that, like, you know, talking about, like, their bravery and knowing, like, knowing that them stopping that, they knew that stopping that parade could come with, like, violence and backlash yes. and people yelling at them, potential, like, police intervention, mm-hmm. and then everything that comes in the days after in terms of online, you know, mail, people get death threats, like, BLM yes. Toronto got mailed death threats to them, all of these sorts of things, right? Like... But it's, I want to say, and maybe this is me just trying to be optimistic again, like I did last week, <laughs> like how that worked out, mm-hmm. that a lot of, that there is support coming from the LGBT community, that a number of people who criticize the protesters have apologized or half apologized, depending on how you read the apologies. And they, I mean, they had supporters. They had people, as I said, coming out from the audience, supporting them. People in the parade were texting me saying, yeah, you know, there's a protest happening, but they weren't against it. Mm-hmm. Um, um, that th- I would like to hope that the mainstream LGBT community supports uh, th- the protesters' demands and what happened. Uh, I want to, I guess, maybe I'm just hoping that a lot of the backlash is from people who aren't part of our community. And if I can, you know, use a broad brushstroke like that and say, you know, it's not their parade, we're not putting this on for them, so I don't really care mm-hmm. what they think. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think this is a moment to, like, really think about, like, what our community looks like and, like, mm-hmm. who feels that they are part of the community, who are who are excluded, who feels like they own things like the Pride Parade, because a lot of people yes. do. Like, Absolutely. everything from, you know, the actual Pride Festival Society to people who think, like, th- they have ownership over this and they should, they should say who's in and who's out um, in terms of, like, yeah saying prioritizing the police over uh, people of color and trans folk and all that. Yeah, so yeah. hopefully this is a, is a conversation, a healthy conversation about about who we are as a community and who we're marginalizing in our community mm-hmm. and taking steps to address that. And I think too, I mean, it's, and I think like in Edmonton, we often, um, you know, compare ourselves to Calgary and then pat ourselves on the back for being, um, like, quote, progressive, being, like, the more robust LGBTQ community of engaging in, like, different things more historically. And I don't think that's, like, I think this is showing that that's, those things aren't accurate anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not, there are parts of our community that are definitely not progressive, that are exclusionary. Um, and the way that it was handled in Edmonton was actually sort of uh, the convert like over the last two years this conversation has been shut down so many times mm-hmm. because there was this sort of feeling of superiority somehow that this wasn't an issue in Edmonton yeah. and in Calgary they're having town halls they've had like they've had three town halls in the past however many months to engage with the community and we'll see what comes of that but yeah. the town halls like you know uh, were made public and they're an opportunity for people to to discuss these things but um yeah, I hope it's a huge like moment for Edmonton to sort of humble itself and, and figure out where to go. Yeah, that we have to have the the conversation has to keep going. You know, just because just because same sex marriage was legalized a few years ago doesn't mean we're we're done. <laughs> All done. Um, but some some good news coming of Alberta. So during last week, well, we have news updates. We do. We have. Five minutes for a news update, but this one is like yeah, really on topic and really important. And that is that you might have seen the new driver's licenses that we'll all be getting, but you now have an option to put um, FM or X in the sex field of your driver's license, your ID cards, your vital statistics cards. Uh, this is 
according to Premier Rachel Notley. It was announced last week in the lead up to Pride. Can I add? I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's important. Mm-hmm. But the new driver's license will also have dinosaurs on them. Yes, that's true. I was wondering where you were going to so, go. So I know it's, it's <laughs> yeah. That's that's good news too. Well, the big buzz was about the dinosaurs. Yeah. And the X. Yeah. Well, that's good and, that, um, that that people are more excited about the dinosaur than they are angry um, that uh, you know there's an X allowed now because I mean I'm sure there's some people who are mm-hmm. upset about it yeah but the, the good thing too is that um, you can you can self-declare so you don't have to do any of the ridiculous oh, shenanigans yeah, about well. like proving different things you can just put X I had just assumed that that was the case that it wasn't going to be something uh you know, progressive like that. Yeah, like, no. Okay, good. Yeah, so they're not going to make you prove different things. So there you go. That's good news coming out. That's all we have. There's a ton of, like, all the Pride events are obviously still happening. If yeah. you want to check them out, go to the Edmonton Pride uh, Society website. Oh, I also wanted to make sure to say uh, Queer Flex is continuing their, um, uh, like, fitness and move your body uh, things all week. So go look at Queer Flex website to check out the uh, events for Pride that they're putting on, uh, which they did like self-defense they're doing like dance stuff like that seems all very cool Cool. kickboxing i think is still happening uh or still yet to come